you learn different things from different people wow. you work with. If you surround yourself with creative, cool people, you learn creative, cool things. I'm Patrick Hollick, and this is my interview with Norman Reedus. Norman's always been a consistent friend and a, uh, a just a wonderful person that has a lot of consideration for others. In this podcast, we talk a lot about uh, respect for actors, working in a multitude of platforms, artistic uh, projects, loving the art world and working in it, and surviving and coping with the fame of uh, the modern social media age, which Norman's very much you know, a part of. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. This was a really nice day in New York City. It was the first episode of our motion series, so um, we were kind of learning what we were doing as we were shooting it, and uh, I think it gave the episode a really nice organic tone that carried out through the rest of the season of the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. When did you first get here? God, I got here 17 years ago, and I kept a place in L.A., and I'd go back and forth all the time, and then after a while, we just, Helena and I just decided to stay here. It was closer to her parents in Denmark, and at that time, I was just, I was just ready to get out of Los Angeles anyway. I had a place in the West Village with Helena, then another one in the West Village without Helena, and then, um, I moved to Crosby Street, Howard and Crosby, for a long time. But that's when we started Collective Hardware and had all those artists from Collective Hardware coming in and out of there. And it was uh, what happened to that movement? It was cool for a while. It was. Um, I mean, we were trying to kind of do like a factory thing, and you know, we had Ronnie Catrone and Eric Foss and Paul Savigny and a, you know a bunch of different artists who had different loft yeah. spaces in there who. You know, there'd be art studios and editing rooms and woodworking and right. a lot of people doing really crazy stuff. And the ground floor was a big gallery. And then below that, we had a monster effects shop uh, called Ill Willed that Tate Steinzik ran uh, that he would make like giant saber-toothed tigers for the Discovery Channel in there and stuff like that. <laughs> but it was a space where I could, I could go grab your camera, grab your lights. Everybody was well-versed in making things, so you could just grab a bunch of people and go make a film. And it ran, it was a thing for a long time. It was, a, it was like a cool spot to go to. And like everything in New York, it became a party place after a while. You know, yeah, that's just what happened. Yeah. I remember when they talked about Frederick Hughes when he met Warhol. Mm -hmm. They basically said after he got shot in the stomach, the first thing he did was like deconstruct the hangarounds of the factory because 99% of it was toxic and not productive and just drug influenced. And then like, you know, I had somebody from, uh, I can't remember what studio it was, but they came out and met with me out here. And uh, what Warhol used to do is he'd have all his assistants after every single party grab, every, you know, grab the coffee cups, grab the ashtrays, grab everything, and put them in a crate. Nice. So we had like something like three dozen crates from different parties and stuff. And what this studio was going to do was they're going to take a crate and give it to uh, a director or a filmmaker of some sort, and and they would make a film, a short film, based around what they found in the crate. Ah. So I was going to do one, uh, I think they were talking to James Franco about doing one. I was curious what happened with that, because that sounded like a lot of fun. He's such a documenter. Did you ever read that diary he wrote where he was like, got a cab, $2.40, had a coffee, and he would write, uh, itemize every price in his journal of no. the day. Yeah. <laughs> no. Grace Jones walked by, she needed $2. He would itemize every dollar. He's very weird with dough. <laughs>
It's like, there's a journal my friend had on his coffee table that he, every day in his journal, he'd write the price of the day. Ronnie used to have great stories about Andy Warhol because Ronnie Catrone was his assistant for a long time. Wow. And, and you see these old pictures of Ronnie and he looks like he's like 18 and stuff. And, and Ronnie, he became famous making those like, uh, those paintings of like uh, Mickey Mouse and Underdog and all those all those old paintings yeah. back then, those were all Ronnie's. And he, you know, became a famous painter. And I remember walking with him on Crosby Street, and this young kid comes up and he goes, he goes, "Oh my God, you're Ronnie Catrone." He goes, "I'm a painter in New York, and I'm trying to, you know, what do we do to make it like how it used to be?" And he, Ronnie goes, "Well, the first thing you do is you take your garbage and you throw it in the street. That's the first thing you do." But Ronnie had all these great stories about Warhol. And we'd go up to Montauk and sit around and like share a bottle and talk about Warhol stories. And is stuff. he still around? No, Ronnie passed away a couple years ago. He married uh, Kelly Catrone way back then, and she kept his name. And I don't know, he was, he was just a really cool guy. That's awesome. Yeah. I think I'm going to do this thing for Fleet Week where I'm riding a motorcycle with the NYPD with a bunch of sailors, and we're going to park on top of the Intrepid That's and then great. auction the bike off for uh, charity during Fleet Week. Yeah. I just went to the Empire State Building for the first time not so long ago. I've never been. I did the towers. You go, you go up to the top, and then some lady came up to me and she goes, "Can we take a picture of you on the roof?" And I was like, "Aren't we on the roof?" And she goes, "No, no, no, follow me." And I was with Greg Nicotero and his family, you know, and they take us up these little these little stairs in the middle, and then you go to the tippy top roof, right? And as on your way up there, you see big pictures of like Insync and J Lo and all these people who have been up there, right? And so I go up there and they're, they're like, oh yeah, get, get on the edge. And literally the wind's blowing so hard that I'm like up against the wall and uh -huh. my hair is blowing sideways. And I'm like, take the picture, take the picture. <laughs> Freaking out, right? And so they got this picture of me just like looking like, like I'm going to die, right? And literally my hair is blowing sideways and my eyes are like half open. Great photo. And like the worst photo ever. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then they go, oh, yeah, we shot Tom Cruise up here yesterday. He was actually sitting on the ledge. Of course he was. And I go, with a harness? And he goes, no, he was just yeah, sitting on the ledge. A... taking a picture. I was like, of course. What do you think for the motorcycle show? You getting it? They're like, do you want this song? Yes, you do. You do, right? Yeah. Maybe with the episode with Cher. This is a famous song. He rested as he went along his way. I know the Willie Nelson version. We took um, Kai to Collective Hardware and made a little video with him. Uh, Max Perlick directed this little video where he was an animated cockroach. And Kai keeps fucking up with this girl and this cockroach comes out in Max Perlick voice. And, You're fucking up, kid. This is what you gotta do. Like this little fucking brown cockroach. It was insane. Did you hear that thing he did for a PSA for gun control? And Ted Demi asked him to do it, and he didn't want to do it. He's like, come on, you can do anything you want. He's the biggest so he gun come, collector. So he comes into a PSA uh, for gun control. And there's like, you know, tell stories of, you know, friends with guns and, you know, stuff like that. And he comes in with a, with a gun with uh, blanks in it. And in the middle of the speech, pulls out this gun and starts firing it in the air. The camera guy drops the camera on the ground. All the casting people start running out of the room and he's sitting there firing in the air. 
And Ted calls me, he's like, what the fuck did you just do? Yeah. And he's like, you told me I could do anything I wanted to do. He's like, Max, Max, Max. That's amazing. He comes to my house one time and he goes, when I lived in LA, and he sits down in the kitchen and he goes, he goes, he's sitting there talking to me, talking about all this stuff. He's like trying to bake something in the oven and he's going on. And he's got on a wife beater and black leather pants. Yeah, and the a leather giant, pants. A giant cowboy hat. Beyond, yeah. And about an hour into the conversation, he takes off the cowboy hat and he's got a yarmulke on underneath the cowboy hat. I mean, like, genius, right? Yeah. There was this time brilliant. when he started going space skater cowboy. Wonder. He's such an amazing dude. Perlick. He was killing it, too. He went yeah. from like Ferris Bueller's to Rush. Yeah, with drugstore cowboy. Drugstore cowboy. He was like crushing. Yeah, I love Max. Yeah, he was a sweetheart. Max Perlick was the one that brought the Beasties to LA. Yeah. And yeah. then he was their tour guide and introduced them to Matt Dyke and changed their whole lives. That was how it all went. They were all broke. They had just lost everything to Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons' deal, Chapter 11, and started in like Laurel Canyon living on like Ioni's floor. And they're like, wait, you guys did the biggest record in the world. They're like, can we borrow money for food? <laughs> You're like, that's weird. And, and Tamara was, Tamara was, who was she married to? Which she married one? Mike D. Mike D, that's right. Yeah. I mean, Tamara gave me my first acting job ever. Really? In a movie called Gun Crazy. It was me and Donovan Leach played like... And uh, Drew Barrymore. Yeah. And we played like this, this, this little bullshit part in it. Yeah. And um, we got cut out of the movie. It was my first role, but I wasn't Screen Actors Guild. I wasn't in the union or anything like that. You're a Taft like Hartley. Isn't that um, what it's called? That's when they actually pay for you to get in the union. Uh. But since I did the job and I was ended up on the cutting room floor, I didn't get into the union. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was interesting. Uh, I didn't know that I didn't want to be an actor. I didn't even think about it back then. You were doing art shit. I was doing art shit. Yeah. And, and Donovan was somebody that I kind of met on the spot, you know, and introduced me to Tamara, and then Tamara put, Tamara put me in this movie. I think Drew was producing the film as well. Wow. So they kind of had both picked me to be in it, but I didn't know what I was doing no. at all. And then I went back to the art stuff afterwards, and then uh, Guillermo del Toro cast me in a movie, and that was my, act that was my actually real first yeah, job. job. Yeah, and that was on what a movie was called, called? It was called Mimic, and it was, um, it was like giant cockroaches in Manhattan under the subways and shit. And it, That's why we're shooting in New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was, I mean, it was cool, but it was, I mean, Guillermo del Toro is like a genius. Like, you just kind of want to hang around him and hope some of it rubs off on you. Did that, and then we did Six Ways to, uh, Six Ways to Sunday right after that with Debbie Harry and uh, That's where you Isaac become Hayes. friends with her? And that's where I met Debbie, yeah. That's awesome. Every, every, yeah, I came here and everything went boink. Yeah. Oh, I came out here and everything just flipped yeah. upside down, and all of a sudden I was working all the time. That's how it goes. Yeah, some, some of the stuff I was doing in L.A., before the acting thing, I remember one show that we did. I, I had I had friends that were going to Otis downtown, and um, Josh had taken a truck and he had gone to Arizona and gotten this certain rock. And this rock, you cut it when you polish it, it looks like like white rock with fire inside of it. Right. And without it being polished, it just looks like an orange sort of dull rock. But he taught me how to cut rock, and, and I was doing welding and sculptures out of metal and stuff. For his graduating class project, they did a show, put on a show downtown. And I had taken the rock, and I had made a vagina out of it, like a big sort of horns <laughs> with a clitoris, which <laughs> takes fucking forever. I had, there was a show that we had done in Beverly Hills before that, and it was sort of a mother's for the artist 
show that they put on for the children or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and I didn't go in the show because I was too nervous. I used to wear like a poncho and I had like green hair and I was like this little weird guy. And Josh had done this thing where he was DJing in the front and he had taken the, uh, the floorboards out. And so when he hit a certain bass note, the colors of the floor would change and change. Right? Like he did all, we did crazy shit. You guys are high concept. In, oh, yeah. we were insane. And um, I had taken these seven giant French doors that I got out of this newspaper called The Recycler in L.A. And these big seven French doors, and I had plastered Dia's body, that little girl you were talking yeah. about. And I had elongated her, elongated her at, the, at the elbows and at the knees and had her in these little positions. And I had taken a class at Santa Monica City College to learn how to weld because I wanted to make rib cages and jaw bones and pelvic bones and all these things. So, and then I souffléed that and all these different gauges of wire and... I did, it took me forever to do this, but I had done that show, and Josh's teacher from his school had gone to the show, and I didn't go in the show, but I had these two, these two girls, these friends of mine had a truck, so they brought the stuff in, and they put the stuff in the back while I waited in the truck, and they came back out, and they said, <laughs> okay, so you're gonna, gonna go to the show tonight, and I was like, no, 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 I was like, Josh, call me later, and he calls me, and he goes, he goes, man, he goes, people were coming in like, wow, this place is great. And then they go back to your back room and they just come back like catatonic. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, fuck Beverly Hills. That's and, um, great. And, that's, and then his teacher from that school invited me to put my piece in their graduating class show downtown. From seeing that. Yeah, from seeing that. And I was the first person to sell anything at the, at the graduating class. How so, old are you? God, uh, 21 or that's something awesome. like that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what the crap I was doing back then, and I was also living in a garage. It gets much weirder as you get older. It got and it got weirder and it got weirder, and um, <laughs> then I was like obsessed with these like spider web sculptures and all this shit. What and was then, the um, one you were just telling us was fucking that you're doing with? Oh, the rats. Yeah. Yeah, I did a for your heating thing. I did a sculpture here. With part of the, with you know everyone from Collective Hardware put together a show here and. Um, we all had sculptures and paintings and all these things in it, and uh, and I had taken, uh, I'd, I'd made an eight-pound polyurethane life-size statue of myself, blue like Mr. Freeze, holding a knife, naked in this, and I'd put it in this giant plexiglass box, and I filled it full of rats. But I would, I had, I had also wanted to put fill it full of flies and have microphones in there, so it's like microphone. Yeah, you know, just amplified fly buzzing, and. Um, I had ordered all these bugs from San Diego uh, that were freeze-dried and sent to me from San Diego, and, I, and the fly larva wouldn't hatch fast enough. So I put it in front of a heater uh, in front, you know, at the loft that I used to go to on yeah. Crosby Street. To, you know, I thought it would heat the process up a little bit. And it, yeah, I right. melted all the fly larva, and then Mingus, who's like six, you know, five maybe, wakes me up, he's like, Daddy, it smells in here. It smells, right? And he had a little loft bed that I had built him, like up in the thing, and uh, and there was just buckets of like Larva fly crap. soup, yeah. And um, but anyway, and then we went to Da Lin's wow. uh, studio in the meatpacking district, and we were organizing all this stuff, and I had all these other bugs that came with those bugs. And Mingus is, you know, there's like speed metal blasting in this place, and there's, you know welding going on and just like the freakiest fucking people there and Mingus would run around with buckets and you know or a handful of the bugs going give me a bucket like you know I have all He's these helping. little yeah he was totally into it and he did a there was you remember the West Memphis 3 that whole yeah. movement about those kids I had done some artwork for for a show in San Francisco to pay for their lawyers right, right. Mingus drew a drawing a wolf's head and it said mountain wolf on it 
And it was in the show, and Jello Biafra bought that piece from the show. And then a friend of mine, Liz, who works with Mick, Mick Rock, right. bought it back from him and gave it back to me as a gift because she knew I, I wanted the one that Mingus did. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, all sorts of crap like that. What's funny is like I did one where they invited me to all the music video when I was directing videos they invited me to their installation show and I took Tony Ward and I called it a uh, cracker and I would have him take like four packs of firecrackers and put a cigarette on it smoke go to like what's it called the hot dog stand the famous one in LA on Pinks. Melrose Pinks and he would double sided tape put it underneath there and I'd be across the street with a camera and shoot the choreography of everyone pushing each other out of the way, thinking it's a massive shooting. And yeah. I called it Cracker, and I put it on a JVC speaker and played it. So it was just like this, because I hated Fincher and Mark Romanic and all them, because yeah. they were so much more successful than me. I turned up this thing all the way, so all you hear in this museum was like, yeah! Yeah! It just was on a loop. <laughs> so I had the same intention of you. It's like destroying the moment yeah. in the back. Heidi Klum walked in and saw that sculpture with the rats and screamed bloody murder. And I was so excited. And they called PETA on me and the whole fucking thing. Somebody made a coffee out of me. Check it out. I'm on a latte. Voila. I like it when they do a tattoo of your face on their face. Then they're really committed. <laughs> right. It's funny when you see tattoos of yourself on people and sometimes they're not very good and you're like, it's great. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. This is our spot. Like, where would you go for advice? People ask me that shit, it's goofy. I don't understand. Where would I go for advice? I'd go to Chinatown and walk the streets senselessly. I don't know, I mean, I always get like the best advice from people I work with. I mean, I've actually shot on the street and read all this whole area. I shot with uh, Harvey Keitel and, and uh, Emmanuel Biart on the street. I, I strangled him and threw him in the back of his taxi cab and pushed him off Roosevelt Island. But listening to that guy and listening to people like Alan Rickman and Willem Dafoe. So out of all those names, like who was the biggest influence? Cartel or uh, the, um, what actor was like, that's easy for me. I get that process. You learn different things from different well, people you work with. I mean, if you surround yourself with creative, cool people, you learn creative, cool things. Yeah. No. What advice have you been given <laughs> that sticks with you? What is it? That's such a, that's why it sucks as a thing. It's like, uh, Everybody has a little piece, and you kind of take all the pieces of the advice, I think, and then you decipher what's... Like, when I was making a film, everyone has an opinion, and then you have to make this opinion at the end. You have to say, like, I'm going this direction, even though there's 700 influences. I don't think it was one person. I think it's like a mixture of a lot of people's little chiming in. Right. The good news is when you're a filmmaker, you just say it's yours now. Everything's... Or you just say, I'm a photographer, <laughs> no, and you're a everything, photographer. Everything's yeah. yours. Like, that was your idea because you made the film. I was like, that's crazy. That's just funny. Yeah, everyone just steals from each other. Yeah. That's, I mean, but I think that's part of it. You know what's my best shit is I misinterprets of a steal. You steal something and you do it so whack that it becomes your own style and no one saw the, the crime. That was Jean-Michel was really mean. He used to say, uh, who's the best artist? Who's the best artist? And I'd be like, this guy, this guy, Da Vinci. And he'd be like, no, he who steals the fastest. That's what I didn't like about New York when I was a kid. Everyone was fucking jaded. And they were like, beat me down. I came here like naive and having fun. And they were all like, 
throw away your Kerouac books and your Burkowskis. You got to get, you know, you got to find that. And they freaked me out. They're all like, like dark. And I was like, oh, miserable. I'm like, I didn't come here for this. I don't Make know. I, I like learning from my peers. I mean, I can watch Joaquin in a movie and just just stare so at it forever and learn things. And I mean, just you know, people I like, people I listen to. I just you learn things from people all the time, even by accident. Not even just famous people. You learn. No. I mean, I can talk to the guy that delivers the FedEx packages and sit and have a conversation with him for a couple of minutes and pick something up and think about it for the rest of the day and take it into work somehow. You know. Does anyone, like, more than another, put something in your head that was, like, I don't know, a strong opinion that, that you were like, that's a good basis for us? I mean, not so much, like, one-liners. I mean, I remember working with Alan Rickman and uh, being off-camera for his dialogue and seeing how hard he connected with me while he was saying his lines, and it had nothing to do with cameras or anything like that, and him giving me the same sort of respect on the other side. And I've also worked with actors that are, like, you know, I'm doing a close-up, and they're like, can I get a latte? And you're just like, is this how this works? That's and like Ratner, yeah. brain reading. Say it like this, and then I'm out. No, no, it was the other actor I was acting with telling really? the, the PAs over my head, can I get a latte while I'm crying and about to kill myself? So it, it's, it's the quality of people I think you surround yourself with. You learn bits and pieces of everything they say and everything they do, and also their work ethic. You know, I think you learn from their actions more than you learn from, you know, advice. Right. You know what I'm saying? Whose idea was it to ride bikes in mine, the snow? Mine. I was hoping for no, a blizzard. I mean, this is just snow. Fuck it up. Yeah. Come through, come through. When I lived here, I remember I used to assist all these fucking mean photographers that threw cameras at me, and everyone yeah. would be like, you're so great, you're the greatest. And, like, do you think that when people hype you like that, when you start buying it, do you feel like you become irrelevant? That's what I always feel. Like, if no, I believe it. No, I don't think that. I mean, uh, it's like that. We were talking about it last night a little bit, and you said, uh, you know, there's that famous quote, you know, do you think that a little bit no. of success has, has changed you? And you, it's no, the people around you change. I think that's very true in yeah, a lot of ways. I do too. Out of all the mediums that you mess with, art, film, photo, paint, and everything, what's, what, do you have a favorite or do you like to mix it up? I like acting, I gotta tell you. I mean, there's that something one? about photography and painting and stuff where you can, you can do something and put it on a wall right. and then sort of sit back in the back of the room and have people judge you or like it or not like it. But the acting thing, it's, it's your voice, it's your face, it's, it's super personal. The problem is not taking all the criticism personally. I mean, get a haircut. Like, I'm on a TV show, I can't cut my hair, you know, right, or right, like right, right. whatever. But, it's a very honest thing. There's, you have to have, you know, jumbo elephant balls to be an actor, and you really do. So I have a lot of respect for that, you know what I mean? Be that vulnerable, that naked, that open. Yeah, this, yeah. it's kind of become my favorite. It scared the shit out of me in the beginning, to be honest. I mean, I used to In the to beginning, do, like, gun, gun crazy, or like, No, like, not. Six Ways of Sunday, and Boondock Saints, and all that. But, you know, I'd, I think I was so, look, there's a guy peeing on fruit. Um, right there. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, it's, uh, I mean, I used, to, I used to go to auditions and stuff with, like, other actors in the room, and I was terrified, and I just, I think because I was so insecure, I would just sort of snarl at everybody, and yeah. I have beady little eyes anyway, but somehow 
that turned into an acting career somehow, you know? Do you think it's like because you've done so many fucking episodes, you start being in a natural state? Kind of, a little bit. Before I mean, this, I was fucking terrified until we just started rolling, but I wanted to have a thousand journalistic you know, moments under my belt before I do it, but I can never wait. I don't know, you kind of like go on autopilot for a lot, a lot of it, you know? Right. Especially in between gigs, you know? You kind of value your free time and you start to pay attention to things a little more, I think, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many a lot of people come up to you for a selfie a day? A lot, you know? <laughs> a lot. I never You, you shoot a lot front. of celebrities. Do you see celebrities changing around you all the time? I mean, I know you knew, like, John Hamm way back in the day. I always find that, like, the bigger, <sighs> the more relaxed and comfortable, and then, like, the new kid that's going to be on WB is a mess with a, tr a crew of 70 people and 80 handlers. Yeah. And then the Clint Eastwood comes alone, takes his own shirt off, doesn't yeah. need to go to wardrobe to do wardrobe. Yeah. He'll just take his shirt off on set and yeah. be like, yo, do you have the other one? And that's a big difference. But if it's a new kid, we're going to have 60 people, a, a fucking groomer, a person yeah. for the person, no, th the manager's assistant manager, a dog groomer. I think they, lean, uh, they read the line sheet at the end of the year and they're like, what was this million dollars? They're like that crew that was following you around. Yeah, I mean, we all want to be Clint Eastwood in the end, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cruz popped up, when I shot Tom Cruise, um, he popped up in like a tourist rent-a-car and we had a cigarette. It was like surreal. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember meeting Paul Allen in the south of France. I got on his boat with Howie B. And that dude was in a Gilligan hat and cut off blue jean shorts on a boat like the size of this building with a helicopter on it and a Amazing. submarine attached to it. And he was in cut off blue jean shorts and a Gill Gilligan hat. And he was sort of crying to us that this girl broke up with him. Right. And I instantly just loved that guy. <laughs> I was like, this guy could buy anything in the world and he's just yeah. in love with this girl that's not calling him back. And I don't know, I think people with money kind of don't show you they have money, you know what I mean? Who would you say the most important person in your childhood was? The most important person in my childhood? Probably my mom. I mean, she raised me. I learned all my lessons from my mom. She was always super interesting, always had clever things to say, was interested in a lot of things from crystals to, you know, before there were necklaces and shopping malls and so forth, medicine. I mean, she, she's just a very interesting woman. I mean, um, she's like Gisela, almost Balt's mom. Was she hippie or no? She was a bit hippie, yeah. She, I mean, she's done everything. She's been a Playboy bunny. She used to sell coffins for a living. Wow. Um, she just got back from Kurdistan. She ran an orphanage in Kurdistan and ran a school there. So, taught me clash songs while we did the dishes when I was a kid. I mean, wow, she's a cool lady. The most important thing in your life, Mingus, my son, would be the most important thing. Yes. Yeah, without a doubt. If you had to invite three people to dinner, who would they be? Howard Stern, mm. Salvador Dali, and I almost said Cleopatra, but that would just be weird. Um, <laughs> uh, Woody Allen, maybe. Wow. What about you? What three people would you invite to dinner? Who would I invite to dinner? Besides myself. Be besides you, I'd have to say... I had an obsession trying to shoot a Ronald Reagan portrait, so if I invited him to dinner, I could shoot the picture. And I always wanted to shoot Manson, 
and I never got those two photographs. Marilyn Manson or no, Charles, Charles Manson? No, Charles Manson. I was obsessed, and I always wanted to. When I was a kid, I was always obsessed with shooting Ronald Reagan in a white T-shirt. When I was, you know, shooting, why? I was I like, that would be so badass because he's always why? in three-piece suits. Exactly why? That was an obsession. It was on like all these journals, and then Ronald Reagan in the white T-shirt. I mean, I could name a three hundred people I'd like to have dinner <laughs> Before with. Before that, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hmm. Did you have an obsession? Like mine was Reagan with a white shirt on. I had, I had a babysitter that had, uh, had a bright canary yellow candy dish when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And every time I saw the candy dish and went to their house and saw it, I would instantly throw up. And to the point where they would hide the candy dish and then I would rip apart the house looking for the candy dish, find it, throw up, and then be over with it. I don't know what that means, but... I was pretty obsessed with that for a long time. And duct tape. I had a duct tape thing for a while. I always see on your social, it's Big Bald Head. What's the story behind Big Bald Head? All right, Big Bald Head, the story behind that is my mom took me to a Laurie Anderson concert when I was a kid, and which was kind of a scary thing to see when you're a child. But I sat there, and, and she came out with this, this glow-in-the-dark outfit and violin, like, and then her face popped up on a screen behind her, and she said, the sun's coming up like a big bald head and it was just her head and I just I was mesmerized by that image and after that everything was big bald head and then I did a, <laughs> I have a production company called big bald head everything on social media is big bald head but I made a book uh, called the sun's coming up like a big bald head it's based on a, a song of hers called Sharky's Day and Debbie Harry took me uh, took me out one night and we met up with Laurie and with Lou Reed and um, I had to get her permission to use that title of the book. And she said, well, send me the book of photos. So mm. I sent her sort of a rough draft of the book and she liked it. And now she's doing a book with my book publisher. That's amazing. So, yeah, super cool. What's the most important thing that you learned this year? The year, year's early, but what would you say so far that you've learned that's important? I mean, actually like the last few years, I mean, doing, doing The Walking Dead, I mean, I guess it's like anything else. If you really like your job, and you like to go to work, you're more invested than if you're doing something you don't want to do. So it's really changed my work ethic, like as a man, as a professional, if you call it a profession. It's a profession. I guess so, yeah. But it's, it's just changed my whole point of view and everything. Like I try really hard. I think like when I used to know you back in the day in LA, I didn't know if I wanted to be an actor. Or I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was like do. a reluctant flow. It was reluctant. That you weren't really committing to yeah, it. Yeah, and I had, you know, I was getting offers on things and I may or may not show up. You know, I was that guy. I mean, I remember like going and meeting agents and, you know, going to CAA and, you know, ICM and all these agencies, you know, with ripped up clothes and just sitting there like judging everybody. And I remember there's one guy, um, I think it was Ed Lomato. I was in his office and he had a real Basquiat's on the wall behind him. And he's in the middle of a sentence, I go, hold up, are those real Basquiat's? And he goes, you know, I, I don't know, they give me art, I put it on the wall, and I was like, let's go. Yeah, you know, I mean, I just, I just didn't, I didn't really care. That was care. your introduction. Yeah, yeah, I was like, come on. And it then, all um, might be a lie, but not. Yeah, but, but you know, uh, back then I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I didn't really put a lot into it. But I think the last couple years being on the show and working with these people and you know, I get there early, I leave late, I go on days I'm not filming and watch. You know, I think it's really, it's slowed me down in the best possible ways, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, what's next? What's your next mission? My next mission is I'm doing this motorcycle show for AMC. 
I, I went up from Naples, Florida, down to the Keys with Peter Fonda on motorcycles. Wow. Yeah. And I had met him a long time ago when I lived in LA. I was living up by the Hollywood sign, and and there was a poster, an Easy Rider poster in my bathroom. And I wake up one morning, I'm going in there, and I go to the bathroom, and I'm, I look up, and I see this poster, and I hear this, ooh, out in front, because they used to shoot a bunch of commercials, you know, with the sign behind mm -hmm. it. And I look out the window, and it's Peter Fonda, and I'm like looking at the poster, and I'm looking at him, I'm like, no fucking way. And then about 10 minutes later, can I borrow your phone? I can't get a signal up here. And I'm like, yeah, if you sign this poster. So he wrote, ride hard or stay at home on the poster. <laughs> and we were talking about it on the, on, the, on the ride. And, you know, first off, I'm sitting here riding, you know, next to With Easy Peter Rider, Fonda. like the Godfather. But we we're talking about that. And I was thinking to myself, like, that ride hard or stay at home, mm -hmm. I, it was like it was written for that guy. I mean, he's so balls out, like such a free spirit of a guy. Like, did he remember the signing? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And then I did a movie with him years later. Yeah, I just really like motorcycles. I mean, I've I've been into them since high school, you know. And I ride one on the show, and and you know, I ride my own bikes to work every day out there in Georgia. And uh, the producers of the of AMC the, of our show came to me and said, we have an idea for a show. Would you like to do this? And I was like, fuck yeah. I want to do this. Cycles, like, why yes. would I say no to that? Yeah. yeah and it's, it's been a, a blast so far. I don't know. I just, it's, you know, you're all by yourself on a motorcycle. You know what I mean? It's just no, a it's bubble true. You around can't you. text. You and can't, you can't text. receive a text. Yeah. You just, you're That's the best part. Unreachable. It's almost like meditating. It's yeah. almost like a meditation. You and I have, have written Wait, motorcycles together. We need to do more. You're impossible to keep up with on a motorcycle. You're insane. <laughs> I go a little rapidly in between traffic, but I watch the rear view mirrors and only hit one once in a while. How many of those do you get a day? I get a ton of those a day, yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of did, NYPD though. I think we did 650 <laughs> pictures with you and people today. It happens a lot, yeah. I guess, I, you know, no one ever really comes up and goes, you suck, so that's good. That's if they did, I'd probably sign. crack up, but. Um, You'd give them more shots. I would probably like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. She's a really uh, big fan. Actually, my mom. Was it great? Too. Come here, girl. <laughs> Did you know that it's kind of Spanish now? Is it? She doesn't really know English too oh, much. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Cool, yeah. Nice to meet you guys. Have a Thank good day. Control de tierra al comandante Tom. Yes. Control de tierra al comandante Tom. Yes, estoy here. Tome sus pastillas, pongas el yelmo. You know, I remember when I first came here, I did a little video art show with some friends, and then it came out, it came out in this book, but it, was, it showed like five artists in New York, and it was like Julian Schnabel and I, all these great artists, and then I was in that list, and I was like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, how am I in this list? I started being given things, like given shows and stuff, and it kind of, I kind of felt shitty about it, to be honest. But I think after being here and, and being around artists as I grow older, I try new things, and I try harder to do the, the little things I do. I, never, I don't even like that term, artist. I think it's kind of bullshit, to be honest. But you know, um, I don't know, I just, I, I, I try harder to do things and uh, I dabble less. I have more of a focus. Do you feel it's harder when you have no fucking time and you're overscheduled to do creative work? Like outside of the, well, I have, always working on the show? Well, I mean, I have help now. So if I'm doing a book or something, 
they helped me organize it and helped me get that, make that happen. But I mean, I remember like even where we were walking on the street in Chinatown, that post office around the corner, that little post office right there, I used to sell on bigbaldhead.com. I had uh, three short films that I directed and edited and shot. And you sent me those on DVD. Yeah, they're really weird. But um, I used to sell those via the internet. So I'd, I'd go to that post office with backpacks full of DVDs and like sell them out and stuff. But I don't know, now it's a little more organized maybe. So you'd say you got more focus. I, no, I got more help. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's different than it was back then. I mean, we didn't have Instagram and selfies and all this other bullshit. So, I mean, I mean, most of the time people just come up and they go, can I get a selfie? Like before they even ask you your name or what you do, you know? So, uh, I mean, it's, I don't go to the grocery store so much. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> TV's different than movies. TV's, TV, you're... People watch you in their underwear, and you're in their homes, and they feel like they know you. So they approach you more. Television is a different animal. First time I ever saw myself in a magazine, Joel Schumacher wrote something about me after 8mm. He wrote, Norman's not really good looking. He's interesting looking, but he's not really good looking. That was the first time. And then after that, I started to work more, and, and I kind of got into seeing myself. I was like, this is super weird and crazy. And now I don't really look, to be honest. If someone sends me something, I'll have it like a JPEG because the publicist sent me it, you know? But like I'm on TV Guide right now and I, I haven't even seen it, you know what I mean? I don't look so much, I, you know, I'm sort of sick of seeing myself. So there you have it, a long, wonderful day spent with Norman Reedus. It was funny because I actually learned things. I didn't know a lot about his mother until he brought up different aspects of her life. Uh, you can know somebody your whole life and not know all the details, so. Ask your friends about themselves a little more often and learn a little bit more as you go. You don't need a show to do it. As always, you can find this episode and bonus materials at patreon.com forward slash patrickholic. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Control de tierra al comandante Tom. Yes. Control de tierra al comandante Tom. Yeah, estoy here.